This evening we're going to pick up and continue in the letter of Second Peter, Peter's second letter. If you're looking in the church Bible, I'm not sure what page it's on. One, two, two, three. We've been saying that the background to this letter was some false teaching that had cropped up in the church. These particular false teachers, it seems, were saying that Jesus was never coming back. Therefore, there would be no final judgment. Therefore, we can live as we like. And Peter's main aim in this letter is to stress the point that Jesus is coming back. Therefore, we will be held to account. Therefore, it does matter how we live. In chapter 1, Peter put this positively. He reminded his readers of the truth. In chapter 2, he puts things negatively. He deals with the false teachers themselves. A few weeks ago, maybe actually three or four weeks ago, we looked at the first half of chapter 2. And there Peter assured his readers that God knows what's going on. He's aware of these false teachers and they won't get away with it. Peter said, lies and sin may flourish, but God is not sleeping. Peter was clear that the righteous will be rescued and the unrighteous will be punished. And Peter gave some examples from history to show that God will treat everyone appropriately. He mentioned Noah, Sodom and Gomorrah, and Lot. So the first part of chapter 2 is there to assure us that God knows. The second half is here so that you and I might know. It's here to help you and I to be wise, to help us discern what is genuine and what is false. So I'm going to pick up this evening in the second half of verse 10. There should be a paragraph break in your Bible there anyway in the middle of that verse. And then I'll read to the end of chapter 2. Speaking about the false teachers. Bold and arrogant. These men are not afraid to slander celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful... Do not bring slanderous accusations against such beings in the presence of the Lord. But these men blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like brute beasts, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like beasts, they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. Their blots and blemishes reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, a beast without speech, who spoke with a man's voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These men are springs without water, 
and mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty, boastful words. And by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and overcome, they're worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. If you were here this morning, you might think we've drawn the short straw with our passages today. Prostitution in the morning, and now this. But this is God's word, given to us because it is useful for us. The approach Peter takes here is to point out that the emperor has no clothes. You know the story of the emperor's new clothes. He was marching around naked, but no one would come out and say it. False teachers and false teaching can be like that. It can be allowed to go on just because no one dares to point it out. No one dares to speak up. When people have a way with words, when they have an overpowering personality, it can be hard to stand up and say, but surely what you're teaching isn't right. Surely the advice you're giving is wrong. Have you ever felt that? You're faced with something that biblically just can't be right. But you don't think you can take on the person who's spreading the false teaching. They seem so intimidating. The approach Peter takes here is to expose these false teachers as they really are. They might appear impressive. They might out-talk and out-argue everybody else, but actually there's nothing truly impressive about them. It's all just bluster. It's smoke and mirrors. It's an appearance of substance, but there's really no substance at all. You might have noticed how often Peter uses comparisons with animals in this passage. He wants to take away the mystique. These guys are no better than dumb animals. In fact, they may well be worse, as we'll see. So we can call this dogs, pigs, and a donkey. Seeing false teachers as they really are. Peter says they are out of their depth. They're out of control. They're as greedy and stupid as Balaam. And finally, they're slaves who promise freedom. I realize this passage might seem a bit removed from your experience at the moment. False teaching may actually be the last thing on your horizon. But it would be a mistake for us to dismiss these verses. Because they're here to help us be wise and discerning people. They're here to help us make good judgments, to weigh up and evaluate all the different voices that we hear. These verses are not a complete guide to being discerning, 
but they have plenty to teach us about being discerning. First of all, even though false teachers may have a big following, even though they may be able to out-argue everyone else, Peter says in reality, they are out of their depth. Verse 10, bold and arrogant, these men are not afraid to slander celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not bring slanderous accusations against such beings in the presence of the Lord. But these men blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They're like brute beasts, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like beasts, they too will perish. It's hard to be sure what exactly Peter means by celestial beings in verse 10. He's probably referring to angels, but are they good angels or evil ones? If we follow the NIV translation, we'll take them to be evil angels. And then Peter's point is this. The false teachers don't take the reality of evil powers seriously. Maybe they're joking about them or even denying that they're real. But, verse 10, even good angels who are stronger and more powerful than evil ones, even the good angels don't take those evil powers lightly, nor do they talk arrogantly about them in God's presence. Another way to understand Peter's point is to see the celestial beings as good angels. Then his point would be, the false teachers are slandering angels. But even though angels are stronger and more powerful, they don't try to push God into hitting back at the false teachers. Which understanding is correct? Well, I don't know. But either way, the overall point is the same. These false teachers are way, way out of their depth. They may be impressive talkers. They may be able to put their teaching across in a convincing way, but they're messing around with a spiritual world that is out of their league. Look again what Peter says about them in verse 12. They blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like brute beasts, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like beasts, they too will perish. In the ancient world, it was understood that certain animals were born to be slaughtered and eaten. That's what they were there for. That was their purpose. There weren't any vegetarians in the ancient world. Today, many people put animals on a par with humans. Recently, a chap knocked on our door collecting for three different charities. One was for dogs' homes. One was for hospitals in war zones. And I think the third one was the lifeboat. You could take your pick, which one you gave to. And he told me that when people gave, far and away the most popular choice was the dogs' homes. Now, I certainly do want to be negative about homes for dogs. Some of you might not believe me. But really, I have nothing against dogs. I'm simply making the point that we have a very different view of animals today than they did in the ancient world. Dogs, for example, were not cuddly pets. They were scavengers. And the point Peter wants to make is that these false teachers, for all their charisma, for all their smoothness and their persuasiveness, they're no better than dumb animals. 
Peter calls them brute beasts. They're fooling around with spiritual realities they don't understand. And they'll come to the same grisly end as animals that are bred for slaughter. Peter's probably thinking of the final judgment. And of course, these teachers were denying there would even be a final judgment. Peter says they don't have a clue what they're talking about. The final judgment will come, whether they believe in it or not. It's easy for you and me to be shaken and silenced by smooth talkers, people who deny the teaching of Scripture. Whether it's a learned bishop who's denying what the Bible says, or whether it's one of the new atheists who are so condescending about Christianity. We can be cowed into silence when we hear them. But Peter says, stop. Step back and take a look at this from God's perspective. These smooth talkers are out of their depth. They're making pronouncements about things they don't understand. They may have an armful of degrees. They may have written books. They may be beloved by the media. But they have no more understanding than animals. And however much they may pour scorn on spiritual realities, sooner or later they will be at the sharp end of those spiritual realities. And second, Peter says these false teachers are out of control. Verse 13, they will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. There are blots and blemishes reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. What happens when you take God and the judgment out of the equation? What happens is that nothing is out of bounds anymore. In and of itself, there's nothing wrong with feasting in the evening after a day's work. But these guys love to carouse in broad daylight. Life for them is one long, self-indulgent party. They're neglecting their duties and responsibilities. And if Peter is thinking of men who had responsibilities of church leadership, then the point is that they're abusing their position. And they're encouraging others to do the same. When a teacher gains a big enough reputation, they can sometimes get away with actually doing very little. And every so often, a big name in the church has his party lifestyle exposed. He's been taking advantage, feasting and carousing instead of serving God's flock. That can happen even to ministers who have their theology right. It's almost certain to happen to those who have their theology wrong. If there's no final judgment, then even church ministry is just a way to try and gather up wealth and get a cushy position for yourself. Peter goes on to say these false teachers are even turning the Lord's Supper into a mockery. In the second half of verse 13, he says, They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. For the first 250 years of the church, the Lord's Supper wasn't celebrated the way we celebrate it today. It was part of an actual communal meal. It was referred to as a love feast. 
Apparently, these teachers were turning that meal into a time of self-indulgence. Rather than focusing on others and on Christ's sacrifice during that time. I've never done any research into this, but I wonder if Peter is putting his finger on a common connection here. I wonder if a flippant and a disrespectful attitude to the Lord's table is a sign of deeper problems. The kind of problems Peter is addressing here. A lack of belief in the realities of sin and judgment. Certainly Peter says that by leading the church into self-indulgence, even as they gather to remember the Lord's death, as they lead the church in this, these teachers are blots and blemishes. That's language from the Old Testament. Not only the sacrificial animals, but the priests themselves were to be without blemish. Peter says, the very men who are supposed to be leading worship are the ones making that worship impure and unacceptable. They are the blots and blemishes. In verse 14, Peter says, they have eyes full of adultery. Their eyes are always checking out the women, even during church activities. Always looking for an opportunity. They're sexual predators. And how often has that been true of church leaders? Men who see the vulnerable not as sheep to be cared for, but as prey to be taken advantage of. Peter says these men seduce the unstable. He may have in mind those who are mentally and emotionally unstable. But he certainly also means those who are unstable in their faith. When we looked at the opening section of this letter, Peter encouraged his readers to make every effort to grow in their faith, to advance both in their obedience and in their knowledge. They were to work at deepening the foundations of their faith. And here's a very good reason why. If we're happy to remain unstable in our faith, If we're happy to have weak foundations, then we're vulnerable to being taken advantage of by smooth-tongued deceivers. Peter isn't just thinking about sexual things here. He says these teachers are experts in greed. They want to take advantage of people financially too. And again, how often has this shown itself to be true? Men whose whole ministry is nothing but a means to line their own pockets. Peter says, don't be deceived by smooth talkers and charismatic operators who deny the truth. Don't be deceived. Behind the smooth, persuasive exterior, these people are out of control. They're driven by greed and lust and self-indulgence, just like animals. And Peter says they are under God's curse. They are an accursed brood. In verses 15 and 16, Peter compares them to an Old Testament character who proved to be dumber than a dumb animal. He says these men are as greedy and stupid as Balaam. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, a beast without speech, 
who spoke with a man's voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Balaam is mentioned quite a few times in both the Old and the New Testaments. But the main account of his life is found in the book of Numbers, verses 20, uh, chapters 22 to 24. Balaam was an internationally known prophet in his day. He had a big reputation. And a king called Balak tried to hire Balaam to come and curse the Israelites. Balaam was hesitant because he knew at least something about Israel's God. He knew it wasn't very sensible to try and curse God's special people. But his greed for Balak's silver and gold got the better of Balaam. He set off to do the job. But his donkey saw and knew better than the famous prophet. In fact, the account in Numbers presents the whole event as a bit of a comedy. The big-name prophet ends up arguing with his donkey in the middle of the road. And the prophet is shown to be a fool, albeit a very religious fool. Peter's point is that false teachers are stupid. They're so puffed up with their own importance and so greedy for gain that they try something unbelievably stupid. They try to defy the word and the power of the living God. Not only do they deny what his word says, they believe they will personally get away with their sin. Their pride and greed blind them to reality. And the reality is that they're mad. Even a donkey knows better. Earlier, Peter compared the false teachers to animals. And he will do that again later. They're like animals because they're driven by their appetites and instincts. But here, Peter says, when it comes to intelligence, these guys are worse than animals. No matter how suave and sophisticated they may appear to be. Peter is working hard here to expose false teachers for what they are. They're out of their depth, out of control, as greedy and stupid as Balaam. And finally, they are slaves who promise freedom. Verse 17, these men are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty, boastful words. And by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. One characteristic of false teachers is that they make, make big promises, but they can't deliver. They promise well-being and prosperity and fulfillment and freedom. But in the long run, they always disappoint. They are springs without water. Imagine a man staggering through the desert. The heat of the sun is beginning to overwhelm him. He desperately needs water. And he's almost given up hope. But then he sees a well. There's hope for him after all. He stumbles over to the well, he leans over the edge, only to find that it's empty, bone dry. Peter says that's what false teachers are like. They hold out hope to you, they promise fulfillment and life, but they really have nothing to give you. If you put your hope in them, 
then your hope will be disappointed. Again, how many times have Peter's words been proven true? Men and women pin their hopes on the promises of a rogue, a smooth-tongued guru. But his promises prove to be empty. And they're left disillusioned and disappointed. And often those people are forever after deeply suspicious of anything religious. They've heard religious promises before. They've been let down. And when the true water of life is held out to them, they don't dare to trust it. Mists usually promise rain when they appear. Mists can get farmers excited. But false teachers, Peter says, are like the kind of mists that just get blown away by the wind. Nothing comes of them. Peter says blackest darkness is reserved for those people. It's one thing to depart from the truth yourself. It's even worse to dash the hopes of others. In verse 18, Peter is again thinking of men and women who are unstable in their faith. He says they are just escaping from those who live in error. They're just at the point of leaving behind a godless, hopeless way of life. Then these teachers come along and throw them right back into it. They teach that it doesn't matter how you live. Anything goes. There isn't really going to be a judgment day at all. Peter says in verse 19, they promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. These teachers appear to have it all together. They seem super confident and on top of things. But the reality is they're slaves. Slaves to their sinful drives and desires. The emperor, Peter says, has no clothes on. They appear to be dressed up in powerful ideas and great insight. But they're no better than animals. They're slaves to basic instincts. When it comes to spiritual reality, they have nothing to offer those who follow them. Because they have nothing themselves. In verses 20 and 21, Peter suggests these false teachers may well have started out on the right track. They may have had good intentions. They may have loved the truth at one point. That's often the case. Not many people wake up one morning and decide, I'm going to become a false teacher. I'm going to lead people astray. Very often they start out genuinely wanting to serve, to teach the truth. But somewhere along the line, things take a wrong turn. Their foundation proves to be not as solid as it appeared. In verse 20, Peter says, If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. The sacred command here is Jesus' teaching and the apostles' teaching about Jesus. So it's not that these false teachers didn't know the truth. It's not that they didn't know about Christ's return and how we must live in the light of Christ's return. 
All of that had been passed on to them. But they've turned away from it. The person who does that, Peter says, is worse off than they were before they heard about Christ. Now they've been exposed to the truth, but they've rejected it. Verse 22. Of them the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. Apparently dogs have trouble leaving their vomit alone. They'll come back and sniff it, and even eat it. Actually, I don't really like dogs at all. And pigs. You can hose down a pig all you want. She'll go straight back to roll in the mud. Peter says that's the way it is with those who leave behind the truth. They're not moving on when they do that. They're not growing up. They're going back to the mess that they used to live in. A life that's consumed with insubstantial, worthless things. A life taken up with the same old appetites and pleasures. Appetites that are never satisfied. And pleasures that just make us soiled. This passage is here to give us the right perspective. When we hear big names mocking Christianity, when we hear voices even in the church telling us that God's word's really a bit out of date, not really reliable, when we see big personalities claiming big powers for themselves and downplaying God's commands and downplaying sin and judgment, Peter wants us to see the reality behind the persuasive words. He wants us to see that the emperor has no clothes on. The teacher who abandons the truth found in scripture is no better than a dog or a pig. And he's even worse than a donkey. In a moment... We're going to gather around the simple truth of the gospel as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. But first we're going to remind ourselves that the gospel must have an effect on how we live. We're not to be like dumb animals, just led by our old instincts. We are to live in the light of the truth of the gospel. The truth of what Christ has done for us and the truth that he is coming back for us. So let's stand and we'll sing together, O great God of highest heaven.